Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Dua Lipa at Your Service. Every week, I talk to a brilliant mind to discover what inspires and motivates them. Today's guest is my dear friend Edward Enninful, who you know as the editor-in-chief of British Vogue and the European editorial director of Condé Nast. Edward first took the reins of the iconic magazine in 2017, and under his command, British Vogue has become the talk of not only the town, but the world, turning a legacy publication into a contemporary masterpiece. Even though some call what he does shaking up the fashion world, I call it showing the world the power of fashion through diversity, inclusion, and groundbreaking creativity. As you'll hear, Edward wasn't always at the top of the fashion industry. His critically acclaimed work at publications like ID and W Magazine has long found him setting the foundation for a milestone career. Under his reign at British Vogue alone, covers have gone to Oprah Winfrey, Beyonce, Marcus Rashford, Adele, Rihanna, Naomi Campbell, and even me. Throughout our conversation, Edward took me on an inspiring and exciting journey through his career and beyond, including some must-hear lists that have certainly got me thinking. So without further ado, here is At Your Service with very special guest, Edward Enninful. Hi, Dua, where are you? Hi, I'm in New York. Oh, cool. Yeah, come see me whenever whenever you have a chance. I will, I'm coming for the shows. Okay, perfect. I can't yeah. wait. Thank you so much for doing this podcast with me. My pleasure. I want to jump right in and I want to talk about the reception to the February 2022 Vogue cover, which has been utterly phenomenal. And for those who haven't seen the images, I mean, how could you not? It broke the internet. The cover features a stunning line of incredible, beautiful, dark-skinned African models such as Adit Akech and Anok Yai. And these models have been dominating the fashion industry right now. And it's, it really is an industry that's been criticized um, for its whiteness. So it feels like a really, really significant moment. And I was wondering, what was the story that you wanted to tell with this cover? Thank you, Dua. So basically, I went to the shows over the past few seasons, and Mm. I've been seeing all these incredible models. And I've been around long enough to remember, you know, a moment where there were Brazilian models everywhere, and they were celebrated, and there were Dutch models, and the models from Belgium. And I thought, this really is the African the moment for the African model, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of rock shows, catwalks, campaigns. So we just got, you know, a few of them together, the ones who were sort of the brightest stars, and we shot a cover. And I really love the cover because it's artistic. Yeah, it's very now, it's very modern, and it's our second highest, most liked cover on Instagram. Wow. And so we're all very happy. I mean, it's, yeah. it's absolutely stunning. How did you want everyone to feel when they saw the shoot and read the feature? You know, I just wanted people to think beautiful group of models who deserve to be where they are. Really. Yeah. You know, girls who'd worked really hard. They just happened to be black, but they were great models, you know, and we just celebrate them. Yeah, absolutely. Like, do you think this cover, like, signifies something very significant in terms of, like, diversity in the fashion industry and something that we need to take a much bigger look at? Yeah. You know, you're such a trailblazer and I think you've made such massive moves with Vogue in that direction, is that something that you hoped 
would signify with this? Yeah, I mean, you know, diversity and inclusion has become such a conversation. I'm glad that the industry is sort of paying attention to hiring processes, mm. not just paying lip service. So it's part of a conversation, but more than anything, I just wanted to celebrate the beauty, you know, of Absolutely. these girls and what they bring into fashion, really. Absolutely. So, Edward, you were born in Ghana and yes. you didn't leave to come to the UK until you were a teenager, which is yes. something that I can relate to on yes, a very personal level. <laughs> and I'm really interested to know how you've taken your heritage into your work. I mean, you know, anybody who sort of moves to one country from another can tell you, you live in two worlds, essentially. Because uh-huh. I'll be at home and, you know, there'll be sort of Ghanaian food and traditions and even my parents spoke a different language and I'll step out and I'll have to be the British kid at school yeah. eating fish and chips with my friends. <laughs> so you learn about duality and you learn mm-hmm. about different experiences So you learn to see the world through a different lens. And I think that's really what's sort of made my work what it is today. So I can see from, you know, a different perspective, so to say, mm. pretty much what you do with your music and where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, I can I can relate exactly. And I think duality is like the perfect way to describe it as almost learning to live in two different dimensions, being able to jump in into one world and jump into the other. And I think that also probably helps you so much with your creativity and kind of getting into, you know, all the roles that you've done throughout your life. Also, just yeah. in the process, I think those just make you who you are. And I think it's really interesting. Yeah. And um, I've read and I've heard you talk about in such glowing terms, really, about your mother and her incredible work as a tailor. Grace, yes. And how you bonded over your love of clothes. Like, do you think it was almost inevitable that you went into fashion? It's really weird, you know, because, I mean, my mother always made clothes. I remember growing up, it was like breathing for her. Mm. And I always remember being sort of around her, her friends, trying to zip them into these, you know, African dresses are so corseted, (laughs) trying to zip them in, trying to sort of, close the hook and that, but I was fascinated by my mother and her friends. And it wasn't until I sort of started modeling that I realized that you could be a stylist, that styling was a career. I mean, mm. you know, before then I was going to be a lawyer. Wow. I didn't want to be a seamstress. So I didn't think there were any other avenues in fashion until I discovered styling. And That's then, so interesting. That's quite a massive yeah. like career path change where you're like oh I, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer but I then I actually dad. ended up being a stylist and there's this famous story actually well I mean I'm sure you can tell it much better but I'm going to try and do my best where the stylist Simon Foxton he scouted you uh, on the yes. train to become a model and um, you actually agreed but you had to ask your mum for permission first yes I had to I'm sure um, you know what that's like. and yes absolutely I and I didn't ask I just bugged her and wore her down <laughs> You're like, please, 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 please. I just find it really interesting because in various interviews, you know, you've described yourself as certainly as a young boy, as someone who's a sensitive one and yeah. and a little bit shy. And I feel like this surely must have pushed you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. I mean, yes, I was very shy. I was sort of very close to my mother, the fifth of six kids. And yeah, sort of meeting Simon and being thrust in front of the camera and have, I realized that, oh my God, I could be a character. I could be... Mm someone I wasn't normally, somebody who wasn't so shy and sort of role-playing. And I realized, oh my God, I really like this. And that really slowly sort of brought me out of my shyness to go on to be an editor. But yeah, definitely being in front of the camera, whether you like it or not, you have to 
bring it, as they say. Yeah. It probably is that same thing about the duality. It's like yes, embodying yes. a different yes, role, getting into a yeah. character, kind of learning who you are in a different scenario. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess it all does kind of trickle into that. It's funny when you when you look back and you're like, oh, I guess every small or little life change or something that happened plays mm-hmm. such a big role in life as you grow up and get older and you know, amazingly, you became fashion director of ID at 19 <laughs> years old. So I have to, you know, bow down for anyone that can't <laughs> see me. I'm, um, you know, it's it's so inspiring. And, um, you know, for any listeners who may not know, you know, ID, the magazine, it's a very cool, very influential really um, global magazine. fashion and youth culture publication. And that is a big big job especially for a teenager um how did that come about and you know I'm really interested in how you transitioned from modeling into this role you know when I met Simon I was 16 I was modeling and then I was spotted again by an agent so I was with an agency I was going to Kingsway College in King's Cross Mm. modeling in between and then trying to help Simon Fox and assist him. I mean, I was so, do it. I was so <laughs> excited by this world. I wanted to do everything. Mm. I wanted to do everything. I wanted to be everywhere. It's like all my senses were alive. And I remember one day speaking to the photographer, Nick Knight. I think we were shooting with Simon. And Nick was a photo director for ID Magazine. Mm. And I remember saying to Nick, I was, Nick, I really would love to get into fashion. I don't know, it's a journalist or stylist, but I'm supposed to be a lawyer. And I remember what Nick said, which I never forgot to this day. He said, you know, your dad wants you to be a lawyer, but what you have to remember is you have to please yourself because if your dad makes you do something, he might not be around one day and you'll be stuck with that thing you chose. From that moment, I knew. Nick then introduced me to Terry Jones at ID Magazine and I'd go in to help. While I was at college, while I was modeling, I'd go in and before my 19th birthday, I was still 18, I think, Beth Summers, the fashion director who I'd been sort of assisting for a bit, just said she was leaving and I was the perfect person to take over. I mean, I was frightened. I was scared. Oh my God. You know, but I'd been contributing to ID. I'd been writing for them. I'd been around the office, but it was, and when you're that age, you know, I mean, you don't think about it. You just jump in. Yeah. But I think it's such good advice. It's like, you know, the most important thing is like, no matter how much, you know, I'm sure that we all want to kind of please our parents or do whatever they, you know, feel because we feel like they know what's best. But I think at the end of the day, if you go with your gut and you do something that you love, you'll never ever regret that. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it because you wake up every morning and yeah, some days are hard, even in the job that you dream of and that you love. But when you wake up and you do it with so much love, everything is so much more rewarding. When you Um, love something, it's not work. Yeah, but you're mm-hmm. you're a hustler, you know, going in, doing like, getting your way to the top. It's really inspiring for all the listeners. You have to work. There are no shortcuts. I always say no, to the kids. No, absolutely, no shortcuts. You, you have to work. You know, I remember I didn't have any money, so I'd return clothes from Lubbock Grove. I'd walk all the way to the West End <laughs> and back. And I would, you know, I wouldn't sleep for days trying to research. But I was so excited. I knew mm. I'd found my calling. This is what I wanted. So it didn't seem like work. Yeah. It's like when your hobby turns into your job. 
Yeah. I yeah. think people see, you know, people like yourself, myself, they see us now and they think you've always been like this. And what they don't see is the struggle or mm. the journey, I should say. Well, everyone you know? sees the finished product. So yes, they see the end product. You know, they don't see the knockbacks, <laughs> the, the moments where you want to quit, you know, mm. the mm. moments, yeah, where you don't have any money, you know, but yeah. I wouldn't change it for anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, in 2017, you were already at W by that point and you were yeah. working there as like fashion and creative director. Yeah. And then at US Vogue as a contributing fashion editor. Yeah. Um, and then, I know you've, you've done it all. <laughs> and then you came back home to yeah. London to take yeah. the reins at British Vogue. Yeah. And you were the first on so many levels. You were the first man. You were the yeah. first black person. You were the first gay person. <laughs> and from the outside looking in, you know, the scrutiny and the conversations around this was yeah. quite intense. Yeah. What were those initial months for you like? You know, did you feel exhilarated or was there like a terrifying pressure to succeed? Yeah. What was that like for you? I mean, I remember before I got the job, there was a lot of sort of conversation in the press about who was taking over. And I remember when I started, it was very difficult in the beginning because I was so different from what, a British folk editor was supposed to be, that it was quite difficult in the beginning. I put a lot of, um, I challenged myself a lot. I questioned myself. I questioned everything, every step of the way. I mean, my first issue came out four months as I had started. But one thing I knew was that I wanted to create a magazine that represented the world we lived in today, the world I saw, the friends I had, you know, Mm-hmm. People who are from all different backgrounds, who are all different races, religions, people who are, you know, different body shapes. Uh, and I wanted to create a magazine where everybody was welcome in there. You mm-hmm. know, still, it's still Vogue, so the level still has to be quite high. But it was very important to me that the magazine was something anybody could pick up and be welcome. And now I look back, if <laughs> I'm glad the media landscape's changed and it's now the norm, but... Back then, I guess people found it quite challenging. But the brilliant thing was, you know, the advertisers really got it. The public embraced it, women Mm. everywhere. So, you know, yeah, I'm very, very happy I was able to sort of stick to my guns. I mean, there's only, you know, one word of advice that um, my mother gave me. She's passed now. I remember when I got the job, I said, you know, even if I get fired within the first two months, I was going to do what was true to me. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to get fired, my mum would say, do something <laughs> that is true something. to yourself. And I'm yeah. glad I followed that. We'll be right back after this short break. I really want to talk about... Um, how we first met because I feel like it says it says so much about you Um, and uh, so Edward and I we met at the gym in London at BXI we got introduced by my boxing trainer and I remember seeing Edward at the gym and I was like oh my god that's Edward and I just moved to London I remember yeah I was such a fan you know I was so excited about your appointment at Vogue and already the change that you were doing. And I just wanted to really get up and congratulate you. And it was in such an unconventional setup that we like met. We were both just like sweaty in our gym kits. Yeah. And uh, you were just so lovely to me. And we had a lovely, I mean, it was a brief, but a really lovely conversation. And 
after I finished my workout, I went downstairs and I was about to leave and the person at the front desk was like, oh, Edward's left his email and his phone number for you. And I was like, oh my goodness, like, that is so kind. I just couldn't believe it. And that was really where our friendship started. But yeah. I think what that really, you know, what it just showed is just how much trust you put into young people. And mm. it's something that I admire in you the most. Oh, thank you. And you've done so much to create so many opportunities and you've nurtured so much young talent at Condé Nast especially, and you have a new role as global ambassador for the Prince's Trust. Yes. And your role there is to support, you know, vulnerable young people around the world, which helps them on their path to employment. Yes. And I'd just love to know where your instinct to give people a leg up comes from. I mean, you know, I always had mentors. I was discovered by Simon, who really encouraged me. And then I went into ID and I was encouraged by Terry and Trisha Jones. So my whole life has been like, give people a leg up. I, without my mentors, I wouldn't be here today. Franca Cesani, you know, mm. Anna Winter. These were people who believed in, like you said, black, gay, working class from London. So that's mm. why it's so important for me to be able to pass that on to the next generation. You know, without mentors, it's difficult to navigate the world. Yeah. And because I was so lucky, every day I want to pass that on, you know. The young generation, that's my inspiration, you know, every day. Like, what can I do to make things a little bit better than them? And I always say, you know, if I can do it from my background, you know, moving, you know, from my country, you know, being a refugee, if I can do what I've done, then you don't have an excuse. So mm. yeah, I always try to preach that in my work. Yeah. And I think that's so important. I, you know, I feel very similarly to that, you know, sometimes no, I look I mean, back and I'm like, my goodness, sometimes I feel like some of the things that have happened to me shouldn't have happened to me. Yeah. And I'm just so grateful and to have the opportunity to also just like share that. Or And, and that's kind of something that I'm hoping to do with Service 95. And yeah, you have that, and, you have that incredible talent and you had a calling. Yeah. And you know, Everything that, ha you know, what has happened in your life, whatever brought you here, has made you that, that much more talented, that much stronger, more, you know, have more empathy. And I feel that that's something you have a lot. And that's what I really do admire about you. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I get like shy. I'm like, this is about you, not about me. Um, it's a so, conversation. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And and speaking about, you know, some of the incredible mentors that you've had, you know, also at Vogue, and yeah. you've just become such a force for change. You know, you have an initiative of the same name as well. And yes. it gives inspiring leaders a platform to discuss social, cultural, yes. and yes. political issues. And yeah. you've also dedicated an issue to activism as well. Yes. Why did you feel so strongly that Vogue became a vehicle for change? I just, you know, I just felt that Vogue is, you know, the ultimate Bible. It carries such a heavy voice in culture mm -hmm. that to use it for good was paramount for me, you know. What I love is I love that we have these viewpoints pages where women talk about real serious issues, you know, an abortion in Northern Ireland or a woman who was recovering from rape. And it's so important for me that a magazine is not just you know, throw away. But mm. I always believe that, you know, we have to reflect the society we live in. 
And a magazine has to reflect the times we live in. So with every issue, when we put every issue together, you know, yes, apart from the fashion and, you know, the photography, which we do very well, Mm -hmm. we really want to sort of pinpoint women who are really sort of changing the world and fighting against all odds, really. It's very much a part of the DNA of the magazine. And it's so important for young girls out there to see that there are women out there, forces for change, mm-hmm. you know, women who want to change the world yeah. and can change the world. Yeah. So that's very important for me. And the activism cover was really funny. We were in lockdown. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, first I lockdown do. And, and do. We were all at home. We were struggling. We couldn't shoot, remember? We had to literally go back to creativity. <laughs> and I remember thinking, how are we going to create this magazine? Of course, we created stories, you know, with models photographing themselves, people mm-hmm. photographing themselves at home. And then I remember there were four issues in lockdown that I was really proud of. I remember, you know, when they said women over 60 should stay at home because of COVID right. or men right. over 60. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking, you know, we have to have a cover that shows that 60 and above is fabulous. So we had yes. Judy Dench. Yes. And it was so great. And then, you know, the next cover, I remember looking at my window, you know, we're always clapping for the health workers and I'd go to Waitrose or Sainsbury's and realize that to leave your house at that time equaled death, essentially. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were so frightened and I thought, these women need to be celebrated. So the next cover was these women, you know, the three essential workers. Yeah, those were beautiful. I loved those covers. And then from then on, I thought, how do we come out of this into a new world. So I did a series of covers called the Reset Covers. So we did landscapes. It's just like a breath mm-hmm. of fresh air. Mm-hmm. And then there was a reckoning with George Floyd, which also happened. What a what a year we went I through. I know. What a year. Yeah, yeah, so much. And it made sense to just, you know, dedicate the cover to activists, these people who had dedicated their life to doing sort of right and getting justice. And, and I hope that one day when we look back on these four issues, it would sum up a very, very sort of tough time in history, you know, where we couldn't move and... Yeah, but it was a very, very big, like, sign of the times. You know, every cover really dedicated and represented what was happening in our world. And, you know, like you said, we need to have a a magazine that really represents society where it is. We give the right support, the right representation. We talk about what's happening. And and we also show the beauty also of of age as well. You know, I think... We're also in such a um, world where people are afraid also of, of growing old. And, <laughs> but it's so beautiful, you know, what comes with, with it's, age, it's is wisdom, it's, you know, knowledge, it's having seen yes. so much, yeah. knowing, being able to give so much as well. And, uh, yeah, imp- yeah, impart knowledge, you know. So it, it's, yeah, it's really powerful. And I guess we can't really talk about change in the fashion industry without... Also talking about your friend, Virgil Abloh, who yeah. passed away last year from a very rare form of cancer. Mm. Uh, what did he mean to you and what do you think his legacy is? Virgil, to me, represented everything that was possible. You know, he started off as a, as, as a stylist. He had a dream, you know. He managed to get to the top of the industry as a designer for... Louis Vuitton menswear as well as his own, but he had so much integrity. He mm. worked tirelessly. He really wanted to represent the next generation, pretty much what we were talking about before. 
he wanted to be an example of what was possible. And yeah. he did it with hard work, integrity, you know, creativity, and a really, really good heart. And I'm really going, the industry's going to miss him terribly. And I especially will miss him very much. You know, he's left a void, a real void. But his life wasn't wasted because the whole world, you know, in his short life, he contributed so much. Mm. And that's what we'll remember. That'll be his legacy. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're, you're so right. And um, we also recently lost another giant, Andre Leon Talley. You know, he was the former editor-at-large at Vogue and he was also a big champion of black designers and models. Yeah, yeah. And I saw on your Instagram post where you said, yeah. you know, without you, there would be no me. Thank you for paving the way. Andre paved the way. He was, you know, the only black man in our industry for years and years. And I remember, you know, he was very kind to me when I started. You know, he'd give me advice you know, when I needed it. And he was so supportive. And, you know, he opened so many doors for not just me, but so many mm. people of colour, you know, to walk into a room because he'd walked in those rooms. And, and yeah, I'll miss him terribly. I mean, his sense of humour, his laugh. But his, his, you know, he had a joy for living. Mm. And like you said, he championed young designers. He championed, you know, so many people of colour. And I know, you know, He'll be missed. He'll be really, really missed. But again, what a life, you know, yeah, what, what a legacy. A yeah. You know? And, yeah. It, you know, that's why I said in my Instagram today, I wouldn't be here without him. And I really mean that. Yeah. Well, the legacy will live on, I think, you know, both Virgil and Andre have made such massive changes in the fashion industry. And it's yes. really beautiful Huge. that that is Huge. something that will always, always be remembered. We're going to take another quick break. And while we're away, why don't you take a moment to go to service95.com and subscribe to our Service 95 newsletter. A new issue of Service 95 will hit your inbox every Thursday. And I don't think you'll want to miss a second of what we've been working on. So subscribe now at service95.com. We'll be right back after the short break. So... Edward, at the end of my um, podcast chats, yeah. I always like to end it with um, something that I'm very passionate about, which is lists. Yeah. <laughs> These two, I'm very, very excited. I've got two lists to ask you for, which I'm very excited yeah. to share with our listeners and our readers as well. My first one is, yeah. who are your five favorite young British designers? Oh, quite a question. But yeah, I'm very I mean, excited I, I, about I, I so love we them can all. spotlight. Yes. I love course. them all, but you know, I do love Maximilian. It's a great love designer. Max. You 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 wore to the Fashion Awards. I also love Bianca Sanders, who's a mm -hmm. great sort of black designer who makes sort of menswear in the menswear, sort of yeah. reops of Maximilian's in the women's wear, Bianca's in the men. I love Supriya. They they have really great sort of talent. I love um, Bethany Williams for sustainability, you know, and the fact that, you know, she gives so many women work and, you know, is devoted to sort of making the world a better place. And I love Hannah Martin's jewellery, sort of very minimal, very chic, you know. But, I, I, you know, I love, like I said, I love so yeah. many, but if I have to pick five, 
Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Thank you. That's um, that, that's that's five, and that's perfect. And also another spotlight that I would love for you to shine is who are five young photographers that you think we should be looking out for? Great. So you should be, I mean, you know, I'm so passionate about photography. Raphael Pavarotti, who shot the February cover, the real talent. There's a young girl called Adama Jalla, who also shot a great story with Anthony Joshua for us in British Vogue. Someone you're very familiar with, Nadine Ijewari, who shot your first cover. I also love Campbell Addy. Really, really great. And I like Scott Trindle, um, another young photographer who works for us, very sort of polished. And yeah, like I said, you know, there's so much talent out there. But for now, these five really get me excited. I love that. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for Thank your you time. Thank you for having me. Dior. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for sharing your journey and your process and your thoughts with us. My pleasure. Thank you for always being of service and being there for for young people everywhere. We all appreciate it. Oh, Keep shining you. your light. And you too. I hope to Same. see you soon, my dear. <laughs> I just miss you. Miss you. Lots of love. <laughs> Lots Bye. of love. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much to Edward for joining me and to you all for listening in. Even hearing that again, I always just feel so inspired and I hope you are too. As you might know, fashion is something that I absolutely love. So hearing his list of up and coming British designers got the gears in my brain really going. But it also raises the question, who are your favourite up and coming designers at the moment? Who should we be paying attention to? Who's breaking new ground in the fashion game? And who do I need to keep my eye on? Please email your suggestions and Instagram usernames to podcast at service95.com and listen to At Your Service in the weeks ahead to see if we read yours aloud. And remember, I love hearing your voice notes. I'd also love for you to subscribe to Service 95, my new newsletter, which arrives in inboxes every Thursday. We've been doing some incredible work. This week's issue spotlights the need for African voices to be heard in the climate conversation. An essay on the vibrant, evocative filmography of Spanish director Pedro Almodovar and much, much more. Please make sure to subscribe to Service 95 at service95.com and let us know in our Instagram comments what you'd like to see more of in the months to come. Last week, I asked you which hometown delicacies I should be eating when I pass through your cities on my tour in the months ahead. And you guys absolutely delivered. I've actually just landed in Washington, D.C. for the next leg of my tour. So I think our first voice note today is going to come in very, very handy. Hi, Dua. My name's Brittany. I'm a huge fan of yours. I live in Washington, D.C. I can't wait to see you next week on your tour. Just a couple recommendations for you while you're in D.C. If you have time, Le Diplomat is a great authentic French restaurant on 14th Street. And then Residence Bar is a really fun cocktail bar. And then a quick book recommendation. My favorite author, Lisa Gardner, one of my favorite books of hers is called Love You More. It's a really, really good page turner would definitely recommend that and i'm loving your podcast so i can't wait to hear more i thought the podcast on cl was amazing anyway thank you looking forward to see you next week in dc hi dua this is elena from houston texas i wanted to share a full circle moment with you concerning your newsletter and your podcast 
I met you a few years back at your self-titled tour after recently purchasing a ticket to London, but I had no idea what I was about to get myself into because it was about to be my first time there. So I asked for your recommendation, whether it's something I go do, see, or eat while I'm in the city, and you suggested I go to Bone Daddy's in Soho for ramen. So of course I went and it checked out. So to see this now to be the premise of At Your Service and Service 95, I found immense joy in the past few episodes as well as the newsletters that have come through. So I just wanted to thank you for this outlet that you've now brought for the rest of the world to witness, but also just it's something I had no idea you were so passionate about. And I just want to thank you for everything you're doing here, but also wish you the best of luck. Oh, I absolutely loved those voice notes. Elena, thank you so much. And I'm so glad you love Bone Daddies as much as I do. It's definitely one of my regular London staples. They do the best Korean fried chicken wings and the ramen, of course, is like to die for. They've actually stopped doing my favorite, which was the kimchi ramen, but there's lots of other ones that are delicious. Brittany, thank you so much for your DC tips. It's actually kind of funny because I was really trying to go down to Le Diplomat last time when I was here in November in DC. Um, I'm such a sucker for French food and cocktails, so you pretty much nailed it there. I didn't get the chance to go, so I'm definitely going to try this time. Thank you so much to all of you for tuning into this week's episode. See you next week with another very special guest, Megan the Stallion. I can't wait. Mwah. <laughs>